You can be seated. You can be seated. Great to see you today. Have you ever been desperate for God to act? Have you ever had a need that only God could meet? Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? <laughs> well, today we're kicking off this brand new series, Breakthrough, looking at the life of Elisha. And Elisha was an individual that was really, uh, his purpose in his ministry was to connect people to the power of God. Does that sound like a pretty good thing? I mean, everywhere we go, Elisha's taking broken, hurting, struggling people, and he's connecting them to the wonderful power of God. And that's why we're looking at this great biblical character over the next few weeks. Elisha is not to be confused with his mentor, Elijah. Elijah many times gets the press. We talk more about Elijah than we talk about Elisha. But what's interesting is that Elisha actually did more miracles than Elijah did. And, and Elijah was a pretty amazing man of God. But Elisha, man, nobody like him in the Old Testament. He was always connecting people to the power of God. One time, a captain in the army named Naaman came to him. He had leprosy. He was about to die. And he said, Elijah, what do I need to do? And he says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And uh, Naaman thought to himself, well, why do I want to go dip in the river? It's a big trip over there. That sounds like such a waste of time. But his servant said, hey, listen, man, you got nothing to lose, <laughs> you know. And he went and dipped in the Jordan. And guess what? He was cleaned. Elisha was connecting people to the power. Next week, we're going to look at a widow who was about to lose her son because she was in such great debt, and the creditors were going to come take her own boy. And Elisha helped her connect to the power of God and performed a miracle where she was able to multiply the oil that she had and to sell it off and then to get out of debt and to live off of the proceeds of that. Uh, power and Elisha. Elisha and power. They really go together all the way through the scripture. If you've had a need in your life or if you have a need in your life that you know that you cannot meet by yourself, you will relate so much to this great Old Testament prophet. I want us to turn in our Bibles today to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. As we look at this powerful story, there's three kings in the story. One is a king named Joram. Everybody say Joram. Joram is the king of Israel. He is a pagan king. He worships other deities. He's not a good dude. Uh, Joram is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And if you don't know Ahab and Jezebel, they're like two of the nastiest, most sinister kings and queens of the Bible. Um, they worshipped all kinds of other idols. They oppressed Elijah, the mentor of Elisha. And just in general, this is, this is a bad family, okay? Um, there's another king. Uh, he's the king of Judah. And that king, his name is Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is a pretty good, pretty good king. He loves the Lord. He's the son of Asa, who is one of the greatest kings in the uh, list of kings in the Bible. Um, actually honored the Lord and loved the Lord 
you know, was a pretty, pretty admirable guy. There's another king, the king of Edom. <clears throat> and these three kings are going after the king of Moab. And uh, Moab uh, paid a tribute every year to King Joram of 100,000 sheep. But because Joram is the new king, they think maybe we can get away without having to do this. We've normally paid Israel, and we paid the father of Joram, but now Joram's like the young guy, and he's the new king, so maybe we can kind of get away without paying the tribute. So Joram goes after him, and he says, I'm going to take Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat and Joram's kids were married. You know, many times in, in the ancient world, alliances were formed by intermarrying, intermarrying different families. And so they're connected, and then they pull the king of Edom in with them. And now they're marching, and they've been marching for seven days, for seven days, and they've run out of water, and they are parched. They're like, we are going to die. We have a big problem. We don't know, we don't know what to do. And they're, they're scared for their lives. And they realize something that I think today that many people are realizing. And that is simply this, that I have a need that only God can meet. I have a need that only God can meet. I mean, they had looked everywhere and they could not find any water. And there's a certain point in your own mind where you realize, hey, listen, if God does not intervene in this situation, there is no other plan Maybe you've been at a, a point in your own life like that. You know, you got a report from the doctor and you realize if God doesn't intervene, there is no other option. Or you've been in another circumstance where you said, man, I have done all that I can physically do, but if God does not intervene, there is no, there is no other option. And, and so these three kings desperately need water to keep the troops and to keep themselves alive. Look at 2 Kings 3, 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? Okay, now remember Joram, the guy that just said that, he's the one that doesn't even really believe in God, okay? He worships other deities. So he's like, you know what? God is to blame for this. God is the one that brought us out here. God is the one that abandoned us, okay? Now, but look at what Jehoshaphat says. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, is a man of God. And he's like, you know, maybe we ought to at least talk to a prophet. Maybe we ought to get a word from God. In Old Testament times, if you needed a word from God, you wouldn't found the prophet. Today, God has given us the Bible, which is God's word to us. But in the ancient times, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have all of the Bible. They, they just had some portions, but people would go and talk to a prophet. Let's go see what the word of God is for us. And so they inquire of the prophet Elisha. Now this is such an interesting conversation because Elisha was mentored by Elijah and Joram's parents, Ahab and Jezebel, were the ones that were trying to kill Elijah. So now the son of Ahab and Jezebel is seeking refuge 
from the mentee of Elijah. And Elijah, Elisha was not very excited about this. In fact, we're going to see a little biblical smack talking in just a little bit where he's going to give Joram an earful, um, which is kind of interesting. But look at this right here. Joram blames God and Jehoshaphat says we ought to seek God. And Jehoshaphat's wisdom wins the day. But they realized that they had a great need. And I believe that many times that the, the time of God's greatest intervention in our life is when we are the most desperate for him. It's almost like the more desperate that you are for God, the greater that God shows up. And you may be on the verge of the greatest miracle in your life. But we got to let our spiritual hunger and desperation drive us to inquire a word from God. So if you're bummed out, if you're depressed, if you're scared, if you're afraid, the greatest thing you can do is to follow the word of Jehoshaphat. Let's go get the word of God. What does God want to say to me today? I'm hungry to hear from God. I need a word from God. There is nothing else that I can do. I need to hear from the Lord. I need to hear from him. And the kings wanted a miracle, but instead they got a task. <laughs> okay, check it out. Uh, there in verse uh, 12, Jehoshaphat affirmed the word of the Lord is with them. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. However, Elisha said to King Joram of Israel, what do we have in common? Go to the prophets of your father and mother. Okay, in other words, you know, your dad, Ahab and Jezebel, your parents, go talk to their gods. You guys have some other gods. Why are you coming to me? I don't even like you guys. You guys have done nothing but cause me and my friends harm. I'm not too excited about helping you out. What do we have in common, he says. <laughs> but uh, the king of Israel replied, no, because it is the Lord who has summoned these three kings to hand over to Moab. So he sounds, he starts to get real spiritual with Elisha. So Elisha says, well, by the life of the Lord of armies before whom I stand, if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat, in other words, I don't respect you, but if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't look at you. I would not take notice of you. Now bring me a musician. <clears throat> and he says, bring me a musician. I think he's got to get over his anger towards King Joram. And he's about to get a word from God, but he says, bring me a musician. Why would Elisha need a musician? He was setting a mood to get a word from God. Isn't it amazing how music and worship can just set an environment? That's why we love to sing here at Edge Church. Because, because that music just, it just sets the, the environment for God to speak. It's not that God is speaking any less than when we don't have music. But it, it, it allows our sensitivity sometimes to hear from God in a way that we might not otherwise. So Elisha has the, the harpist come in and play, play some strings, you know, and let's just set a mood. And he's about to get a word from the Lord. 
So he says, bring me a musician. And while the musician played, the Lord's hand came on Elisha. And then verse 16, then he said, this is what the Lord says. Dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. And a wadi is a dried up ravine. So he's saying, dig ditches in the dried up ravine. For the Lord says, you will not see wind or rain, but the wadi will be filled with water. And you will drink and your cattle and animals. This is easy in the Lord's sight. How many of you know there's some things that are hard for people, but that are easy for God? And Elisha says, you know what? This sounds all spectacular. This God can do this in his little pinky finger. This is so easy. I want to submit to you today, whatever problem that you may have, it is easy for God. You're not going to overwhelm God when you tell him your problem. It's not too big for him. This is easy in the Lord's sight. He will hand over Moab to you, and then you will attack every fortified city and every choice city. You will cut down every good tree and stop up every spring, and you will ruin every good place of the land with stones. And he says, guys, look, some good things are going to happen. But I want you to notice the command that he gives them. He says, you got to dig a ditch. You got to dig lots of ditches, in fact. Now, first of all, we see there is a need that only God can meet. But the second thing that I want you to see is I have a responsibility that only I can bear. There are some things that only God can do. There are some things that only I can do. So Elijah says, God's going to send the water, but you guys need to dig the ditch. You need to start digging the ditches. I think the king came to Elijah that day expecting to have an instant miracle and to have water right before them. Instead, they got an assignment. And God wants us to tie inspiration into implementation in our lives. Because many times we hear things, we get excited about God, we come to church and we feel blessed and we feel motivated and inspired, but if we're not careful, sometimes that inspiration will wear off. And if inspiration is not put with implementation, then we have nothing. God wants us to take faith and to put it into action. He wants us to do something. And so the kings think, oh, you know, maybe Elisha's just going to completely take care of this. But they get an assignment, go dig a ditch. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do seem kind of silly or seem kind of odd. Like, God, why would I dig a ditch if there is no water? But God always has a plan for asking us to do the things that he's asked us to do. So even if we're not certain as to why God has instructed us in a certain way, we can always trust that God is at work. There are some things that only God can do. There are some things that only I can do. And he says, you guys have a responsibility. Dig a ditch. Today, God wants us to dig ditches in our marriages, in our homes. We want to prepare in faith for the blessings that God is about to pour out. We're prepared. We're ready. We dig a ditch through tithing. Tithing is digging a ditch. We're preparing for the blessings of God. We are mending broken relationships. We're committing ourselves to prayer. 
We're doing the things that help us grow spiritually. We're digging ditches in our lives, around our family. We're, we're expecting God to send the flood when we dig those ditches. And we dig those ditches by doing the things that God has purposed and called us to do. So some things only God can do. Some things only I can do. Sometimes we want God to send the blessing, but we don't want to do the work. But when we do the things that God has called us to do, then God begins to do what only he can do. And you see that in number three. I have to do what only I can do so that God can do what only he can do. So here's the response. The next morning about that time, for the offering of the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom. Okay, now notice there. When they were in worship, they were offering sacrifices. When they were in worship, that's when the water began to flow. There's something powerful about being in worship, being in the presence of God. That's when the water came. Biblical commentators believe that it rained in the mountains and that a flash flood came down through the, through the ravines. And the wadis were the dried up ravines, but because they had dug ditches down in the ravines, instead of the water just rushing through and them not being able to get to it, it trapped some of the water. Now, all of a sudden, what Elisha has asked him to do makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, so look at it again there in verse 20 and 21. And the land was filled with water and the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. And when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other now to plunder Moab. When the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them and they fled and the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Kir Hariseth was left with stones in place, but men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. So, so the people of God win a huge battle. And what I want you to see here in number three is this. I have to do what only I can do so that God can do what only God can do. They had a huge problem, no rain. God gave them assignment, dig a ditch. Then a flood comes, the people are saved, and then they are victorious. In fact, the, the opposing army saw the red clay and they saw the water and they supposed that the other three kings had begun to fight each other. So when they approached the camp of Israel, they did so in a very casual manner. They were not expecting to have a big fight on hand. And that's when the people of God wiped them out and destroyed them and won a great, a great victory. Um, when I was praying about planting our first church, 
I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if somebody will give me $100,000, I will start this church. And guess what? Month after month after month went by, no phone calls, no checks, no emails. I'm praying. I'm like sincere, Lord, 100 grand, I'm yours, baby. <laughs> I'll do what I'll, man, we will get that church started, Lord, it'll be awesome. Nobody called. Nobody called. You know what? I will tell you this. The moment we decided to start that church, it started to rain, though. It really did. God was just waiting on us. He was waiting on us to say, hey, listen, we're ready to go, and it started to rain, and when we took that first step, we dug a ditch, and God sent the flood. Our church, Edge Church, a few years ago, decided to dig a ditch. We decided to have a capital stewardship campaign. We were going to buy another building in town. We had a contract. We had an agreement. Now we were raising the money to purchase the building. And at the last second, something fell through. And I called my mentor, and I said, man, I don't know what to do. We've got this capital stewardship campaign that is about to kick off. The building that we were going to purchase is now no longer available. What should we do? My mentor said, raise the money anyway. And I was like, can you do that? He was like, people do it all the time. You can do it. I'm like, all right. So I went to our church leaders and I said, guys, we need to raise the money anyway. And somebody said, well, where are we going to go? And I said, I have no idea, but we need to raise the money to be somewhere. And everybody said, okay. So guess what? We were meeting at the school. And we had a capital stewardship campaign and we raised some money. And it really wasn't that much money compared to what it takes to buy a building. But we raised some money. Several months later, this building became available. And because we had dug a ditch and we had raised some money, we were able to move in to this facility. You're sitting in that chair today because Ed's church dug a ditch and after the ditch was dug God sent a flood and we were able to lease this building and then later able to purchase it amen is that awesome that's the way God works I'm afraid that too many people are waiting for God to do everything and instead God is waiting for us to take steps of faith so that he can send a flood so that God can send the rain God, God may be waiting on you today. That may not be what you want to hear, but God may be waiting on you. <laughs> the people decided to start digging, and the next day the flood came. Now, they didn't have time to get all the ditches perfectly you know, laid out and manicured and all that. I think, I think God many times is just looking for a willing heart. He's just looking for the people that are willing and ready to say, okay, God, let me give it my best shot. I don't have it all figured out. I, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here today. But, but God, here we go. Let me dig a ditch. Let me dig a ditch. God, would you send the flood? Whatever God has called you to do, do, do those things. Do those things. And after they got a word from God, they had to get to work. You know, it's true that in Jesus' ministry, the most spectacular things that he ever did were often accompanied by acts of faith. 
In John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding of Cana, a place called Cana of Galilee. They run out of wine. The people come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what do we need to do? Can you help Jesus? Jesus says, you know what? Have the servants fill up all the pots with water. And when the servants filled the pots with water, that's when Jesus turned the water into wine. <laughs> if the servants wouldn't have filled it with water, the wine would have never flowed. Uh, Jesus cured the nobleman's son in John chapter 4 because the father came and begged Jesus to intervene. There was a lot of other sick people, I'm sure, in that vicinity that didn't get healed that day. But one boy did because his daddy came and begged Jesus to intervene. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, Simon Peter has been fishing all night. He catches nothing. Jesus that morning says, go, go back out into the deep and put your nets down. Well, you catch fish at night and in the early morning, not around lunchtime. Any fisherman knows that. But guess what? That day, Simon Peter put his nets down and he had so many fish get into the nets that he had to call in some buddies to bring in the great abundance of fish that had been caught that day. But if Simon Peter would have never put back out into the Sea of Galilee, he would have never had the miraculous catch. <laughs> Sometimes we say, God, I want the fish to swim up to the shore to jump out of the water onto the bank, and I need you, Lord, to fillet them up for me and hand them to me. What, what is God asking you to do? What is the ditch that God has called you to dig? There was a man that was born blind. John chapter 9, Jesus puts mud, he spits on the ground and puts mud on his eyes. Now, you have to, you know, you kind of read that and you're like, is Jesus making fun of the blind man? I mean, here's this poor disabled guy and Jesus is putting mud on him. I mean, come on. Then he tells him, go wash in the pool. Well, how does the blind guy find his way across town to the pool of Siloam? Looking like a fool with mud running off of his face. But it was there where he washed that he was healed. And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? If I was blind and I had to get to a certain place to wash my eyes to see again, I would figure it out. I would call in every favor in town. I'd be calling all of you guys. Hey, listen, I need you to take me. Can you guide me? I'd call Uber, you know, dial up an Uber. Whatever you got to do. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. When we bring our kids to church, we dig a ditch in their life. Some of you have teenagers or you have, you have kids and they don't even realize what you're doing for them by bringing them to kids ministry and to youth group on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. But you're digging a ditch in their life. And they may not be saying, thanks mom for bringing me to church. But one day they're going to realize the great things that you've done for them. The opportunities that you gave them. You dug a ditch for God to work. You created that space and that opportunity for God 
to intervene. When we invite people to church, we dig a ditch in their life. We're giving them opportunity. Yeah, we, we can't save anybody. We can't, we can't redeem people uh, of ourselves. What we can do is dig a ditch and invite people to come and hear the word of God and have their life impacted by what he's doing. Amen? And when you bring friends to Easter services in a few weeks, guess what? You're digging a ditch in somebody's life. You're digging that ditch. If you're sick, you ought to be asking people to pray for you. Sometimes I talk to people that are sick and they're like, well, I don't want to ask anybody to pray because I don't want to put anybody out. Man, are you sick? Are you in need? You need to get some brothers to lay some hands on you and pray for you. Come on, man. Dig a ditch. I don't want people to pray for me. Come on. Come on, dig that ditch. If you want to have a healthy marriage, work on the things that you know will build your relationship. Dig the ditch and God will bring the rain. If you're dating, date the right kind of people. I talk to so many Christian singles that feel like they have to lower their standards to find somebody significant. Don't do it. Don't do it. People say, well, there's no Christian men or there's no Christian women in town or where are they and all that. And listen, man, when you make a commitment to spend your life with a person who loves Christ as much as you do, you dig a ditch. And when you dig a ditch, God will send the rain. You don't have to worry about it. Just do what God said. If your business is struggling... Do everything you can do from a business perspective to revive and resuscitate that business at the same time acknowledging only God can send the rain. And you know, it's amazing when you put God's supernatural power with our tremendous faithfulness, you get a great outcome. It's a beautiful thing. God has a lane to run in. And we have a lane to run in. Many of you know that I used to run track when I was in high school and a little bit in college. I love track and field. When you go to a track meet, they line the runners up in a lane. And you're supposed to run in your lane. Spiritually speaking, did you know that you have a lane? God has a lane. And you have a lane. And when people try to run in God's lane, guess what happens? They get tired, they get frustrated, they get overwhelmed, they get stressed out, they get anxious, they get burdened down because I'm trying to do what only God can do. But you know what's also a problem? Is when we expect God to run in our lane. And some people today feel disappointed with God because God didn't do what God had asked them to do. Let's let God run in his lane and let us be faithful to run in our lane. Did you see the Jim Carrey movie a few years ago, Bruce Almighty? One of the best scenes in the movie is when he's got the responsibility of answering the prayer requests of the world. Remember, he's given the responsibility of God and he has everything translated into email. 
And he starts off with 1.5 million prayer requests, and he's trying to answer all of them. He finally gets so frustrated because more requests are coming in. He answers yes to all prayer requests. And what happens? It screws up the whole world. And at the end of the movie, Bruce Almighty realizes that he's not really that almighty and that God knows a lot more than he does. And <laughs> There's a lot more that's going on to answering people's prayers and needs than he thought. God has a lane. We have a lane. When I try to run in God's lane, I think I'm Bruce Almighty. But you know what? When I run in my lane and God runs in his lane, great things happen. Great things. That's where God sends a flood. And our prayer today is that we would do everything that God has called us to do. And at the same time, expecting God to do the things that only he can do. And when we put that together, it is the great recipe for spiritual victory in our lives. Let's pray together.